I was reading a, an article last week. Uh, it was from a British tabloid, and it talked about some of the things that become heightened around the holiday season, and see if these sound familiar to you. One of the things they talked about was the heightened pace of life, just like things that have to be organized and done uh, to get prepared. And they said that that sort of uh, gets heightened for people around the holiday season. They said the other thing, that one of the other things that can get heightened is a range of emotions, range of emotions from positive to negative, and sometimes those range of emotions are actually tied in with the busyness and the stress and the pace at which you run. That became very familiar to my family last Monday, eight days ago. Eight days ago was an important day for us because it was my Sabbath day. It was Beth and my Sabbath day because we are pastors and we work on the weekends. Uh, Mondays are the day we take off as a, as a pastoral staff. And it was the last Monday to get things done before our two daughters were done with school. So it was an important Monday, and we had been working pretty hard in the preparation, but this Monday was one which is like we had a monster to-do list to get through. We had planned it out, and this is the way it was going to work. It's like, hey, when the moment the kids leave from school, we're going to be doing this. We've got to go to these stores. We're going to go in this order because it makes the most sense. It'll be the most efficient. As we go around, we're going to get everything done, and it's going to be a pretty quick pace, but we're going to pick up some food, and we're going to have a nice dinner for them because tonight we're going to move into Christmas mode. Have you ever done that? It's like, because tonight it's going to become more Christmas because our youngest daughter, Hannah, had a school choir concert, a Christmas concert. So we said, we're going to go hard today getting done what we got to get done. But tonight, we'll have a nice dinner, and then we'll go to the concert, and it'll be this Christmas concert. We'll have gotten done all the stuff we need to get done, and it'll be good. We started moving through the day, and the to-do list didn't quite move as efficiently as we had planned it moving, uh, and, and then we were falling a little bit behind, and then that sort of starts impacting the spirit in which you start going through things, but you're kind of moving through, and you're trying to get things done, and uh, then it was clear and apparent that we weren't going to be able to get everything done in the way we needed to in order to get dinner, to get home, to have it nice, and so we decided that Chick-fil-A was okay for dinner that night to pick Hannah up and then to go and get some Chick-fil-A, and then we'd circle back to the house, and we'd get changed real fast for the concert, and as we decided that, then we heard that Hannah had a friend that needed to come home with her because they uh, needed to get to the choir concert as well. And so could we incorporate that? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. So we can go to Chick-fil-A and we can get more food and then we can pick you guys up and then we'll go to Chick-fil-A. We'll come home. We'll get everybody changed. We come in. Then we found out that there was an arrival time for the kids before the concert time. And so that started compressing the time limit that we had and everybody had to get changed in the choir concert. Uh, people had to get changed into their outfits and we had to get changed from what we had been doing. And they're like down Chick-fil-A nuggets, which actually isn't that bad, as you're going through like the, the changing, so you're changing and downing the nuggets as you go, and then we get outside, and we're having to move to get to the concert in the right time, and everyone's changed, and Beth's still finishing up, and so I get my car keys, and I go out to the garage with the girls to get in the car, and then the girls inform me that they had left some stuff from school in mom's car, and we need to take that car instead, so I run back inside, and they're saying, we're late, we're late, we're late, and I grab the keys for Beth's car, and I come running outside, and Beth's saying, I'm coming, I'll meet you outside, let's go. We open the car to get in best car and then the girls are going oh my gosh it smells like chick-fil-a in here and now our dresses for the concert are going to smell like chick-fil-a it's like it's fine we're going to open the windows as we're moving and it's going to ventilate everything and so we backed out of the garage only to realize in the haste of everything i backed out of the garage without opening the garage door <laughs> all of those emotions were expressed <laughs> and others So over the next few days, while you all are looking for sales on clothes, we're going to see do after Christmas sales apply to garage doors <laughs> and our family. 
My favorite reaction actually was from my 15-year-old who I'm teaching to drive. Because the next time, it was actually just an awesomely delivered line because I sit, she gets in the driver's seat and I sit down and she does everything she's learned to do. She adjusts the seat for her and then she adjusts the mirrors and without even looking at me, she's like, I do this to avoid things behind me like garage doors. <laughs> a range of pace, it said, can also lead to a wide range of emotions and we had a wide range of emotions that night. But one of the emotions that we can often feel at Christmas and it surprised me how much I felt it that night, was the emotion of disappointment. Of disappointment. Disappointment is the gap when you expect something to work a certain way and then you experience it at a certain level and the gap between the expectation and the experience, that's disappointment. And we had had a day to get through things and then we were gonna cruise at our daughter's Christmas concert into a Christmassy feel of how Christmas should be. And at 10 o'clock of that night, I was trying to beat a garage door with a hammer back into place to avoid buying a new one. It wasn't what we imagined. I wonder if that's an emotion that probably applies to several of us in different ways. In life, even at a time like Christmas, where can there, there's going to be heightened sense of what it's supposed to be like, even what we plan on it being like. And then the experience of it and feeling that gap in between can leave us disappointed and even leave us feeling like a disappointment. But I wonder when you read the scripture passage that we just did there, and when we hear that again, if that emotion is not necessarily out of place. Because when I read that passage and I think about Mary and I think about Joseph, I wonder if there was some feelings of disappointment in them that first Christmas night. I mean, you imagine that gap between what you expect things to be and how they are when you get engaged. When Joseph asked Mary to, to marry him, and they imagined their life together, and they were going to uh, you know, be in love, and they were going to have children, and they were going to have this whole life that they had planned out, probably in Nazareth, and all of a sudden Gabriel shows up, and all of a sudden the narrative starts changing from how they thought it was supposed to work. I'm certain that it was somewhat difficult to, for Mary to walk through those months of pregnancy with the rumors around the villages and the towns and the people she had grown up with of the miracle child that was growing inside of her. I wonder what it was like for Joseph to walk that. It was probably what neither of them imagined their engagement would be like. They had to deal then with the fact that there was probably a disappointment when they thought about the actual birth of their first child to come into the world. And then that birth takes place not in Nazareth where they knew, but that they had to go in the third trimester on a 40-mile donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem because a Roman emperor said you had to go get counted with your family and they had to take off. I bet there was a sense of disappointment of what Mary thought her first birth experience would be like with her mom and the women of the village who had gone through that before that she she had known when she was little that she had to do it by herself with strangers. And I bet Joseph wasn't prepared that he was going to be the front line of defense in that moment either. I think there was probably an enormous gap between what they felt like their married life, family life would look like and the life it felt like they were living. And I bet there was even a chance that they may have felt like they were disappointments. I mean, after all, you've had a miracle of an angel coming and telling you that you are going to give birth to the Messiah, and this is how you perform in the first act. 
You imagine for Joseph the inadequacy of feeling like not knowing what to do and they're there in his hometown and yet there's no room for them and they have to go where the animals are and when this baby's born they have to put this baby in a feeding trough for animals. Wrapping them in rags as they go, feeling like that they obviously God had messed this whole thing up by entrusting them with this one. And then as you're finally starting to recover and work out a napping and feeding schedule for the baby, shepherds show up, (laughs) singing and bringing more animals into the scene. But one of the things that amazes me about Mary when you read this passage is while it feels like it's one of those moments that could be ripe for a sense of disappointment, of a gap of what you imagine things to be like versus what they are, the text says that there are two things that Mary does. And I wonder if she might be an example to us tonight in our imperfect worlds of sometimes very high expectations versus the experience of life if she might have something to teach all of us. Because it says the two things she does is that she ponders these things and then she treasures them. She ponders these things, it says. And then Luke writes, she treasures them in her heart. What might it mean for you and I to ponder what Christmas means? Because we can get into such routines and we can kind of do the things that we're doing and we work hard to make sure everything's right. But what is it that as we pause, even just for a moment tonight, if we really ponder what it is that we're here celebrating and the implications of it? Because what we're pondering and what we're celebrating is in fact the most unique thing that the world has ever seen. What is totally unique to Christianity is, is, as Eugene Peterson says, that God is not in heaven looking down on us like sort of like texting uh, rules or religious rules down to us, but that God has actually taken on flesh and, as he says, moved into the neighborhood. You see, every world religion and every spirituality is based on certain concepts. And the concepts are that we as people are here, or we as society are here, and here are the things you got to do. Here's the ways you got to live. Here's the stuff that needs to happen to work your way up to become better, to improve your life, to become more holy, to become more righteous. And so there are these systems and these rules that you got to work your way through, or just these feelings of love that I have in spirituality. What is totally unique about Christianity is we don't believe that we have to elevate ourselves through a system of behavior or feelings or thoughts, but we believe that God came down to us, that God came down into the flesh to experience everything that you and I do. No matter how it is you're walking in here tonight, and most of us are some sort of mixed bag of joy and excitement and anticipation and laughing and fun and heartache and loneliness and hurt, and grief, and sadness, and you almost all of us are some sort of mixed up in there. How amazing is it to ponder that the creator of the universe has experienced every one of those thoughts and emotions? That the creator of the universe knows what that's like. Not that God's looking down on us going, that must be amazing. Or God's not looking down on us going, that must be so hard. But God is looking down at us and is with us looking at us saying, I know. I know the joy. I know the excitement. I know the anticipation. I know the love. I know the heartache. I know the loss. This is the basis of intimacy. This is the basis of love. This is what love really is. I mean, think about like the people that you love, maybe in your family. 
maybe in your small group, maybe in your friendship, the basis in what makes true human intimacy wonderful is when people know us and we know them and we, we take off the masks and the charades and the acts and the way that we position ourselves on social media and try to create a certain image of ourselves. It's an amazing thing when people just know us. Four days ago, my wife and I got to celebrate our 21st wedding anniversary. Uh, December 20th is when we got married. And uh, you know, you can obviously tell we set our wedding date and got married before we felt a call to ministry. Because if you are in the vocations that we are in, December 20th is like not a great time. It's like, what's the busiest time of the year? Yeah, let's go with that. Let's throw a wedding in there. And, uh, and then anniversary, like right, right in the middle of the chaos. But this week we got to go out and we got to celebrate. And one of the things that I was reminded of again in my life is the beauty of having someone with whom you journey. Not that they can fix everything, not that they know the answers to everything, nor can you do it for them, but that you're not alone as you go through these things, that you are walking side by side with one another. There's something of knowing each other. It's just, it's the, it's the basis of what, what love and connection is all about. And God descends, and the miracle of Christmas, God descends in the world going, I want to be with you. I want to know what this is like. I want to walk with you through the ups and downs. And it's our faith and it's the celebration tonight that we uniquely get to have that God knows all that you carry in here with you. I mean, ponder also what that means when you think about that then our religion becomes something unique because we're not following a set of religious laws, but we're following a person. We're following one that God doesn't say, you're supposed to be loving because those are the rules and the more loving you become, the more rewards you get. God's going, let me show you what love looks like. God doesn't just say to us, like, don't be selfish and don't just try to accumulate everything you can for yourself. But God goes, let me show you what a joyful life is, an abundant life is of serving and loving and giving your way away yourself for something larger. Let me show you what that abundance looks like. God doesn't sit there and go, you better be forgiving because we, you better forgive because those are the religious laws that you need to do. Our faith is one that God hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them. Even in moments where it feels like we are, it is costing us dearly, he says, this is what it looks like. We follow a person, not a set of feelings or laws or just religious hurdles to clear to get into heaven. Something totally unique worth pondering and giving thanks for in that. So first off, it says that Mary ponders these things. But then it says that she also treasures them. And I wonder what it might mean for you tonight to consider what it means to treasure this night and what it means. Not just to ponder, to consider, to think about, but to treasure it in your heart. Because what we treasure this night, friends, and what it is that we celebrate and why we think this miracle of Christmas is such a big deal is because, yes, God has come into the world. Yes, God has moved into the neighborhood. Yes, God has experienced all of the joys and ups and downs and merriment and, and, and loss that you and I can feel. But what we also see is that in Jesus' experience of it, Jesus takes all the things of this world and encounters it, but also overcomes it. That our story is one where we see that there is resurrection, where there is new life, where there is restoration, where there is hope. 
where there are no dead ends for the people of faith. And so as we celebrate and sing about Emmanuel, we say that, yeah, God's with us now in this world. But as the Apostle Paul writes, that we are now grafted into God because of faith. And so while God becomes part of our story, we also become a part of God's story. And so when we see the resurrection, when we see the hope, when we see healings and miracles that take place, what we're saying is that's now your story. You are grafted by your faith into Jesus just as he is grafted into this world. And that there is something in that that allows Christmas to be far more than a time where we just kind of dress up and get merry and hope everyone gets along and make sure the food's right and make sure everything's organized. But that where we can take all that life is tonight and be people of hope. Hope. That no matter what we see, in the news and what we see going on in our lives or in our families, no matter what we see going on in our world, that love we declare tonight and see in Jesus is stronger than hate. That in this world of great bigotry and hatred and injustice and intolerance, that we can celebrate because of Christmas, that as Martin Luther King said, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It is this night and the life of Jesus and being grafted into his story that we can celebrate that life will always come out of death and that new beginnings are always around the corner and that story is now ours. And if you sit there tonight and really ponder and sit and just dwell in that, then like Mary, we can treasure this night, treasure the promise that it means for us for this world, and for those whom we love. So may we ponder in each of our stories the miracle, the unique miracle that Christmas represents. But may we do more than just intellectually ponder it. May we treasure it in in our hearts because it is the greatest news this world has ever heard and it changes everything forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks this day. We give you thanks for the miracle that is Christmas. We give you thanks that you have come into this world to experience all that this world has, to love this world. And yet, as we sit with you and as you become a part of this world with us, we become a part of your life that we become with you for now and for eternity. And so we pray that we would see this world and see our lives tonight in all of its fullness and that we would be filled with hope because we leave here this night knowing that we journey with you. We pray for that good news, that light to shine in the darkness of this world and in the darkness of our own hearts and fill us with joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.